0: We have been in this conversation about how we can be church when the church buildings are closed. Because that's the situation we're in. The churches are closed and so how do we, how do we function as a church in this, in this time when churches are closed? And what we've been learning is that God's okay with the churches being closed. God isn't super excited about buildings. We saw how, how when David proposed building a temple for God, God was kind of unenthusiastic. God said, I liked my tent. And so we saw the way that God liked the, the mobility of the tent. He could just pick up and Israel would follow wherever he led them. And, and that's something that the temple doesn't have that, that capability. So um, God's okay with a building that's mo- mo- mobile or even a tent. Um, uh, the other thing uh, we've seen is that we can worship God somewhere else, that we're not tied down to a particular site where sacrifices are performed because Jesus has has performed the sacrifice we need, and as a result... Um We can sacrifice um, our our praise and our good deeds to God wherever we are. We can worship God wherever we are because w- wherever we encounter god because because um, God has made the whole world holy. We read in scripture that heaven and earth are filled with god 's glory, so uh, all ground has become sacred ground because of christ so so we've we've learned these two things about worshipping as a church in a time when when church buildings are closed, and at this point we might be asking, um, well, then why do we have buildings? Why do we have a building like this one? Um, and I, I would imagine there's a lot of pastors like me who are asking that question. Uh, just this week, um, we we got uh, another uh, elevator inspection. This is something we have to do periodically, um, even though no one has been in the elevator for two weeks, uh, two months almost. Uh, we still have to have the elevator inspections. Uh, I also saw on a, um, uh, a pastor website thing, it said, "It said, hey, if your buildings aren't being used, be sure that you run water in them because you don't want to let the water go stagnant in a building. So we have to come over and flush the toilet and run the sink a little bit uh, just to, because it's been so long since the building's um, water was used. So so we, we have these sorts of things, that all, all of the expense and the maintenance hazards that are involved in a building. So why do we have a building? What is the point of a building? If God isn't excited about buildings, and if we don't need them in order to find a place where we can worship God, what is important about buildings? Well, buildings are really helpful. Buildings serve a very important purpose, but they only serve a purpose. Buildings are not themselves the purpose. So we're going to talk today about the purpose that buildings um, serve, uh, and and then that'll help us understand how we can how we can relate to our building better. So, so what is the purpose that a building serves? The purpose of a building is to facilitate the uh, assembly of a congregation. The assembly of a congregation is the purpose of a church building. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, assembly is the word that Jesus uses. It's used actually over a 100 times in the New Testament. But when Jesus describes his church, when he tells Simon Peter, um, Peter has, de- has de- um, declared him to be the Messiah. And Jesus says, um, you are Peter. He says, you're right. You, um, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church. When Jesus talks about church, the word he uses is actually the word for an assembly, and in Bible times it was used for an assembly like like in Anchorage, our, our municipal assembly is the local government um, uh, body, and that was the case in the the first century as well. It was a word that was used to describe the the local government, and it where it comes from is even before that, uh back in you know. Times long before that, what it would mean is that somebody like a, a Paul Revere type character would come riding through town saying there 's a crisis that the, an army 's attacking or something like that. He would say that there 's this crisis. everybody needs to come out and we will put our heads together we 'll figure out how we 're going to respond to whatever this crisis is and then over time, what happened is they said, "Hey, um, instead of all of us coming out why don 't you all just get together periodically? You know you you leaders of the of the community, you get together, and then we will we will um, let you sort out what we're supposed to do in the event of some sort of a crisis. And, and that word, that assembly, uh, came to mean, like in, like in Anchorage and like many places, it means the, the body of government. And Jesus says it is this word that he will build, that it is that assembly that he will build. Now, what is a congregation? I actually looked this one up. I didn't know. Um, but it means uh, to flock together like birds. Um, maybe you've met somebody before and you've said that they are a very gregarious person. Um, I'm not, I'm an introvert, but I've met people who are very gregarious. And a gregarious person is somebody like a bird, he likes to be in a flock, And to, to congregate is to, is to be together with other birds. So, so the assembly is the body of the church and the congregation is all the birds that flock together here. So, so, uh, the purpose of a building is to give us a place where we can congregate, where we can, where we can, um, assemble, where we can flock together. This is the idea of a, um, congregation or a a church building, uh, that is a place for a congregation to meet. So. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the word that's used in the New Testament. It is the body of people that meet together in the the, the church building. So um, uh, our church building is serving its purpose if it's enabling that congregation to meet together. So what we're going to see as we look at um, Acts 2 is this is the way it played out in the first century. So we begin with uh, verse 1 of uh, chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And it says, when Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. They is the disciples. There's about 100, 120 of them at this point. These are people who maybe many of them came with Jesus from Galilee when he came to uh, Jerusalem. And probably most of them have seen the risen Lord before he returned to heaven. So so they're all together. This is before the Holy Spirit has come. These people are meeting together. They are congregating. They are assembling even before the Holy Spirit has come. And uh, now it is Pentecost. Uh, Jesus has, has uh, ascended to heaven uh, 10 days ago, and now it's Pentecost, and they are um, about to have the, the Holy Spirit poured down on them. And so we read that there was this uh, sound from heaven like wind, and then there was these, this visual effect. We don't know exactly what it meant, but it said tongues as of flame came and settled on them. There was a, the roar of a wind, and then um, a crowd assembled to see what the hubbub was, what was this, what was this um, uh, commotion and uh, people, uh, the, the, this group of disciples was able to speak to them in all these different languages. So, so that happened at the beginning of Pentecost, and and they're all going, well, what is the meaning of this? And Peter preaches this Pentecostal sermon, this very first sermon. He says, God kept His promise. God had promised for centuries that He would send a, a Messiah, and He did. God kept His promise. He sent the Messiah, but there's a problem, which is you killed the Messiah. But there's good news. When you killed the Messiah, God raised him from the dead. So it's not too late for him to save you. That that you didn't like miss your one chance to get saved. You can be saved now because God has raised him from the dead. So that's the place. Um, that is most of the the uh, chapter two, and then um, it concludes this way. It says, "Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and God brought about three thousand people into the community on that day." And the one thing we can we can guess is that if 3,000 people were added to this group of 100 uh, on that day, they probably did not go back to the same room they started in. That they were in one room, the Holy Spirit was poured out in them, all these things happened, and then the 3,000 people, where did they go? Probably not back to that same room. There's not many rooms that can take 3,000 people. So where did they go? Well, Luke tells us um, as we read on that um, that they met in the temple. Um, so we we pick up the we pick things up again in verse forty two. It says, "The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers." So uh, they they meet in the temple and they do these things. And really, two thousand years later, this is what the church still does. The church still devotes itself to these same activities. So um, the apostles' teaching. Well, what does that mean? Well, we can imagine in the first century, of those three thousand people, there would have been a lot who really had never seen Jesus. Maybe they were there the day he got crucified or something, but they really don't know anything about Jesus. So they would go, hey, uh, Peter, uh, tell that story about Jesus, because I still need to get that clear in my head, what he was teaching. So they were listening to the apostles tell the stories of Jesus. And we still do that today. Um, sometimes it's in a talk like this, somebody like me stands up in the front of the church, and and uh, the church building, I should say, stands up in front of us and gives a presentation of some sort, talking about the apostles teaching. Sometimes it's, it's in a Bible study. We get together with other believers and we, we read the scriptures ourselves and then we talk through what does that actually mean? What does that mean for us? And we, we do these both thing, it, both of these things in our church. We have, we have, um, the Sunday worship that we're part of now and we also have a Bible study on Tuesday and maybe some of you are involved in other Bible studies as well. So, uh, we still do that. We devote ourselves to the apostles teaching, um, to the community, to their shared meals. Now what, what, uh, Luke is probably telling us about in the book of Acts is he's probably talking about um, what we would call communion today, uh, the, the the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Now, at this point, it's still merged in with a fellowship meal, that there's no real uh, ba- uh, uh, boundary between the two. Now, later on um, in the course of uh, the next 20 or 30 years, there were some abuses, and so we read in some of Paul's letters the way that those two things started to get separated and people... Kind of ate one thing, and then they would get together for the celebration of the Lord's Supper as a separate thing. But we still do the sacraments um, in, in our worship services today. When we get together, we have we have uh, the Lord's Supper regularly. Um, if it weren't for coronavirus, this Sunday we would have been celebrating um, baptism. Um, so we would have been celebrating the Lord's Supper. Luke tells us about these people who are baptized, so we also celebrate bap- baptism today. So that's another thing we do in churches still today. And then he talks about prayer. And uh, he doesn't mean private prayer. Jesus told us very clearly that, that there is a, there's a role for private prayer. And oftentimes, private prayer is exactly what we should be doing, not making a show of it, but going into a private place and praying to our Father who sees us in secret. Uh, this is a different kind of prayer. It is uh, it is corporate prayer. It is when the body of uh, believers gets together and they pray collectively. And um, we do that today. But I think in particular, what this probably means is singing. Because if you think about it, that's the best way for the whole community to pray together. When we are praying together, we're able to to hear each other, but we're not confusing each other with just a babble of voices. So um, by prayer, uh, they they may mean um, they may have envisioned this idea of sung prayer. So, uh, but anyway, we we do that in churches still today. But especially, especially churches have community. This word community um, uh, is is a word that that um, we, we still use sometimes today in church is a churchy word. It's koinonia, and it occurs 17 times in the, the New Testament. Uh, and um, it, it describes the way the church uh, relates to each other. Um, Paul uses it many times in his letters, um, and uh, uh, Luke only uses it this one place in the book of Acts, but he uses a different word, um, a lot. He uses the word that means "come together." So he uses the word "come together" 16 times. So uh, he's he's using this idea of the the community of people getting together to do something many times. And uh, so so what is it? What is this community that um, that they're talking about? Well, it's all the things that Christians do together. And you may think, well, I don't do a lot with Christians. Well, then then you're doing it wrong because there's 59 things that Christians are commanded to do. And you can only do them with other Christians. So if you don't have any other Christians that you're in a relationship with, then you're missing out on 59 different things the New Testament teaches us to do. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list them to you. Where did I put my list? <laughs> so there are 59 things that we can do, and that's too many for me to remember, so I have a list here. And uh, what there are... Uh, are things like this. So uh, we welcome one another. We accept one another. Uh, We serve one another. We bear one another's burdens. We admit our sins to one another, and we forgive one another. We don't gossip about each other. We don't complain about each other. We are patient with each other. We are kind and compassionate to each other. We encourage one another. We submit to one another. And probably my favorite passage is the one we heard in our call to worship today. Um, in the book of Hebrews, we read um, that we are to think about how to motivate each other to show love and to do good works. I love the, the word that's used here. Um, it says to motivate. When it, when it says, let's think hard, let's think hard about how we can do something. What are we going to try and do? We're going to try and motivate each other to show love and good works. Why and do good works? Why do we need to motivate people for that? Well, because we don't always feel like it. Sometimes we feel like not doing that, and so we need to be motivated. And the word for motivation here is is means to be poked with something sharp. <laughs> and and so um, the, the the picture here is a community of people that you can trust to. Poke you when you need poking. That that they they not only accept you, they not only bear burdens of yours, they not only accept you and forgive you and all the other things, but they they have your permission that they there's somebody you trust to be able to poke you when you're not feeling like it. That they can poke you to to do um, uh, uh, to to show love and to do good work. So uh, this whole collection, the fifty nine different things we're called to do, and um, and. Uh, And, and these are things you can only do with other Christians. That you cannot do them by yourself. And so that if if you don't do, if you don't have other Christians that you're in relationship, if you don't meet somewhere, if you don't uh, flock together with other Christians someplace, then you're not able to do these different things that we're called to do. But if we do, if we do, if we do the things that, that the New Testament teaches, if we, if we Welcome one another if we accept each other the way that, the way that we are. Um, if we encourage each other to get better, if we, um, sometimes even provoke each other to get better. Um, if we can, if we can build that kind of community, then, um, Rick Warren says that we will have to lock our doors to keep the world out because the world is that hungry for that kind of community. A place where they can be trusted, accepted, welcomed. This is this is what the world needs. And um, he's managed to, to build his church to about 20,000 people. So um, I suppose he knows something or other about uh, people coming to your church when the doors are open. Now, of course, our church doors are closed right now. Their church doors are locked. And so uh, um, uh, maybe when we get back together, people will be beating down the doors to get in. But we can do something in the meantime. Even though this building is closed. We can do something right now and um we, we can do some of this virtually online and maybe with other Christians we live with. We can do this sort of thing uh with them. Uh Andy Stanley is another pastor from a big church and I heard him once say, he was saying the problem with a big church, you know, row after row of people come together together to listen to you know the apostles teaching and prayer and so forth. He says that's great, but we learn in rows but we grow in circles, that the place we actually grow as Christians, the place where our community gets deeper and stronger, is when we're sitting in circles, when we're actually looking at each other face-to-face and saying, so tell me how this is working for you. You know, How does this look in your life? Because here's what's going on in my life. And that kind of thing we can do without a building. That it actually, if, our, if we think of our Zoom call or our Skype meeting or um, a Google Hangout or whatever it is we're doing, if we think of that as a circle, then that 's actually a better way to grow this kind of community than in a big building. We read in the book of Acts he says that he says that they did meet in the temple, but it says they also um, met in their homes that they didn 't simply come together for this big purpose, but they met in smaller groups. You can imagine three thousand people wouldn 't fit in any building except the temple perhaps. So, so, um, we can do these things, and we should do them and In fact, my prayer for you is that during this time, while we're waiting for the building to get reopened, and I've spent some time this week actually looking into what the what the requirements are for us to be able to do that, but while we're waiting for all the 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 metrics that the health officials use to get better, while we're figuring out exactly what the procedures we'll need as a congregation, in order to be able to meet together in our building, I want to encourage you to do some flocking together, do do some congregating, do some assembling, because this is an important part of what the church is. Jesus called us an assembly for a reason. So get together with other Christians. Do some of this one-anothering with each other. And maybe when when the church begins to open up again and we we still have limits on how many people can meet together whether it's 10 or 20 this kind of phased reintroduction people talk about as we begin growing back together maybe you can continue to meet with with that small group of people that you've been meeting with because buildings are optional buildings are optional they're they're helpful they serve an important purpose but they're optional what's not optional is assembly some assembly is required. Let's pray, loving God. Uh, we thank you for the, the teachings of the New Testament, the teachings of all the different writers who experienced that first century church and have told us this is this is what we are aimed at—that that kind of community, a community that trusts and and, and builds each other up, that um, that helps each of us become more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray for our church both now and when we resume meeting together that you will help us to be a true congregation, a true assembly that is, that is growing in community as well as knowledge. We pray all this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.